hands off. You're not getting your hands on my organs. Well, hello, Michelle. It's all, oh my God, Michelle, it's all drama. It's all drama here. It's all drama here. All I can tell you is there are helicopters outside. I don't know if they're police choppers. SWAT team. I actually think they're transport. No, they're transport choppers. Oh, okay. Because this whole town runs on helis. Oh, helicopters everywhere. I'm so sorry, eavesdroppers. This is what happens Apologies. when you're a professional. <laughs> you're a professional. <laughs> you can't control the uh, transportation. Who on earth has ordered the helicopter to come and collect them from their mountainside home? I think they're probably dropping off something. Could be booze, could be building oh, supplies. Right. Could be criminals. I don't know. Now, hang on. I think we ought to just... You, we've been neglecting to introduce ourselves the last few weeks, Michelle. <laughs> I'm going to announce who I am right now. My name is Geordie and I do a podcast called Eavesdropping with someone and her name is... Michelle, that's me. We're friends. You're eavesdropping on us. That makes you an eavesdropper. We are friends. We've been friends for a long time. And we chat. We chat away nonstop. And sometimes we record those chats and sometimes you get to listen to them. So good for you. I'm congratulating (laughs) you. Well done for choosing the top 5% globally listened to podcast. And as an aside, Geordie, I did check that out. We are still top five. Oh, thank God. I know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we've dropped to point seven. Oh. No, do you know what? I actually did. I did a little fact check on that. We are still in the top 5% thank God. of podcasts globally. Now, I will say Michelle and I were just having a little pre-record catch up and we stopped immediately because it got too much. I had to announce the very sad demise of someone that anyone who's been listening for a while will know about. His name is Kai. He's a ginger guinea pig. And I just found out recently, I shouldn't laugh because he just died. He died, Michelle. I shouldn't laugh either. I'm so sorry, Kai. He was much loved. I mean, I'm a little bit upset, but not completely. I just feel bad that he died when we were away and my son's girlfriend had to reach in her hand at 1am to find a cold, dead guinea pig. Oh my and God. then she was panicking and sending me texts that I didn't see for a long time. And she rang up the next morning saying, did you see my texts? I mean, she couldn't sleep for hours. She was wondering what to do. She left him in a box in the cage because apparently that's what Google says to do. You know that these two guinea pigs, they're brothers. They were born together. They've lived together constantly. They're very, very tight. I always got their names mixed up. I thought they were called Ray and Reed. That's not their names. No. It's Ray and Kai. Kai is short for Tokyo. It's not Kai as in K-A-I. It's Tokyo. K-Y. K-Y jelly. No, not really. <laughs> no, because that's awful when you say it about guinea pigs. No, stop it, Geordie. Oh, my God. Anyway, going back to just the sadness of it all, my husband, bereft beside himself, he actually confessed to me through tears that guinea pig was his therapy pig. The times that I've been to your house and the love and care and joy with which Paddy would stroke that guinea pig. <laughs> I, it all makes sense now. I, he loved that piggy. He really did. Even when they pissed on him, he didn't yeah. care. He actually told one of our children that he prefers the guinea pigs to his actual family. I'm speechless. <laughs> it's not often you hear Michelle Margarita lost for words, but there you go. Now, listen, Michelle... Let's move on from the sadness of what's happened to us this week here in our home. 
How's your week been? Oh, it's it's been great. What have I been doing? Let me ask you something, Michelle. I've just started watching television again. Isn't it fun? And I'm watching a few TV shows at the moment and I wondered if we could have our Telly Rex Corner back. I've got some Rex too. What I would say is you tell me your Rex, I'll tell you mine. Okay, well, I haven't had a lot of time for telly, but last night at 1am when Mm. I just needed to unwind after a hard day at the restaurant, I did start watching the Beckham documentary. Oh, okay, yes, I've heard that's good. Yes, after a recommendation from my friend Phyllis all the way in Australia who said, Michelle, you've got to watch it, it's brilliant, and by the way, Victoria Beckham has stolen all your mannerisms. You know what? That's not the first time we've heard that, Michelle, because at my wedding many years ago, where you were taking quite a a star turn (laughs) at the wedding, (laughs) she wasn't, don't worry, she wasn't eclipsing the bride. I didn't wear white. You didn't wear white. She wore the opposite black with a great big slit up the front. One of my, um, my husband's family members, younger, not young, like they were in their 20s or 30s, she said she was so glamorous, like a Spice Girl. Yes. Oh, my God. Again, was that a compliment? I don't know. I believe it was meant as a compliment. But I don't know if Felicity's comment was <laughs> was a compliment. I'm sure she did. I mean, Victoria Beckham's a very attractive woman. Oh, my God. She's had something done to her, her lip. You know how she's always had no top lip? She's got one. And it's quite full. Yeah. Well, you know, plastic surgery, it goes with the territory, doesn't it? It does if you're a wag. I have never really been a Beckham fan. I'm sorry, people. Those helicopters are coming That's for really me. Naughty. They're coming for me now. It's what happens when you live in the mountains. Bloody helis here, helis there. Anyway, I'm sure Victoria Beckham's been in a million helis. Yeah. I just started watching the first half hour of that series. Actually, not being a David Beckham fan, I bloody love him. I think he's great. Even... <laughs> Even with that little high voice of his, he's lovely. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, I'm going to watch it. I don't fancy him. I'm just saying I think he's great already. Fair enough. I will watch it. And also, we had a little comment on our social media from a long-time listener now, Shari. Hi, Shari. Thank you for writing in. She is loving the Alien episodes, which we've just done two of. And so is Yannicka, by the way, our Tubble friend. Wonderful. I did say last episode that not all our listeners love the aliens and supernatural i actually said her name and she wrote in to say actually she does enjoy them just not as much as the true crime well she's in for a treat today then isn't she she is (laughs) absolutely but shari said have we seen the four-part netflix documentary encounters i haven't i'd like to it's about aliens and whatnot thanks shari i also have started watching a couple of other things got about two or three on the go at once we've got boiling point We watched the film and then started the TV series, which is about chefs in a London restaurant. Really good. You'd like it. And now we're almost at the end of something that Tim the Magic Music Man recommended on Prime called, it's an Aussie thing. It's called, oh my God, Deadlock. Deadlock, L-O-C-H, about some lesbian police in Tasmania and some moiders. It's good. Sounds great. It's a bit ridiculous, but it's good. And... I've started The Reckoning with Steve Coogan as Jimmy Savile. And that's not one that you can just smash because it's hard going. Now, I wanted to bring that up because mm. long-term listeners will remember 
I actually met the Cougs and he told me he was right. filming a TV series where he was playing Jimmy Savile and I've been on the lookout mm. for that series ever since and I Oof. did actually watch the first episode and he is chillingly brilliant as Jimmy Savile. Although it? I have to say I do struggle somewhat with using Jimmy Savile's life as entertainment even though it's been framed as Almost mm. the BBC apologising to the world. Well, they need to. Did you see that fucking funeral in the first scene? Oh, that was my his actual funeral. God. I mean, I didn't give it any thought at the time, but looking back, holy hell. I know. Anyone who doesn't know who Jimmy Savile is, everybody knows. Don't even bother look him up because it's just horrible what he did. The Reckoning, it's terrifying, and but Steve Coogan is brilliant in it. So Coogs, because I know, I did talk to him about eavesdropping. I said to him, Steve, mate, Steve, you got to listen. He could be listening, and if you are, shout out to you, Steve Coogan, because even though you play a brilliantly creepy Jimmy Savile, hats off to you. Yeah, brave, brave decision. Speaking of that kind of hiding in plain sight kind of thing, I am reading, and I think I've mentioned this to you, and the listeners, I'm reading Diane Lake's memoirs of being a member, the youngest member of the Manson family. It is horrifying. She goes into a lot of detail about the sex. She's young. She's the youngest one. She was 14 when she joined because her parents dropped out of society and gave them all acid when they were 10 and 11 and things and didn't give a shit when she went off and had loads of sex with lots of different men and got taught how to give good blowjobs by Manson himself and nightly orgies with the entire family. I mean, it's full on, but there are some things that she's oh. mentioning that you don't hear about when you're researching Manson. And we've done a we've done one story on you Manson. You did Manson where oh, you were like, where are they Van now? Houghton. Where is the family? Yes, that was it. I do get confused. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. Charles Manson, I was thinking about him and Jimmy Savile today, which is great fun. Both of those guys in my mind at once. I'll be having nightmares. He almost became a pop star thanks to the Beach Boys, well, specifically Dennis Wilson, who he was hanging around with and living with. Dennis Wilson welcomed all these girls into right. his home and Manson, you know, writing music with him. And actually, there's a song that Manson got really upset with the other Beach Boys because they were trying to produce him. He was unproducible because he wants to do it his way. And the song was taken and turned into another song on a later album. This is 68, I think. All credited to Dennis Wilson. Manson was furious, left a silver bullet on Wilson's doorstep. Apparently, he's got a very long memory or had a very long memory. And it's funny when you think about it, that if Charles Manson had actually become this pop star, what a fucking dark backstory he has. I mean, he was basically a pimp. And a very, very racist one at that. But was he all those things at that point or did it happen afterwards because he was yes. bitter and twisted? No. Right. Okay. No. Already there. Yeah, he was, a, he was a crim. He had a bad upbringing. This is not a book about Charles Manson. It's just, it's about this young girl who got caught but up. But she's the one that actually got freed, isn't she, at the end? Huh? So she was the one that got was free. released from jail or not even sent to she jail. She never went to jail. She wasn't involved in the murders. 
But she was there for all of this stuff. She was just a witness to it all going on. And she was like beaten by him really badly. Like he would beat them to show them who's boss. She's 14. Honestly, it's horrific. He'd hand her around. Oh my God. Awful Awful stuff. But you know, it's a real test to get through. But uh, what I was going to say is there's a few stories from it that I would like to look into because she's mentioning all these side stories about other cults and other things. And I'm going to definitely do some research and come back. You know we love a cult on this podcast. What a bunch of cults. But what have we got today, Moosh? It's not a cult. I'll tell you that for free. Today, I am looking at Nurses Who Kill. Oh, okay. Cheery. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Obviously, the big news in the UK over the past few months has been the absolutely fucking shocking crimes of Lucy Letby, who... Before she became the fourth woman in Britain to be handed a whole life order, which basically means she will never be released and will die in prison. Well, she actually seemed to be a pretty normal person. You know, she was young. She was single. She liked salsa dancing. She had mates. She had two cats. Nothing wrong with that. I know. I've got one pretend one. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with a cat lady. (laughs) But, you know, she had this great job as a neonatal nurse. Uh, for the NHS at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Except that in August this year, just a couple of months ago, 2023, she faced 22 charges, seven murder charges and 15 of attempted murder involving 10 babies. And she was eventually found guilty of murdering seven and attempting Mm. to kill six others between June 15 and June 16, one year. Terrible. It's fucking sickening and it's heartbreaking, especially when you read the report of what she did and I don't want to get too much into it because you know we don't like to talk about children being hurt unfortunately and trigger warning to people there is no way around not talking about children in this episode I will not go into gory details but when we're looking at nurses who kill particularly these angels of death Mm. It's an interesting name to call them, isn't it? Angels. It's somewhat sarcastic because, you know, they are meant to be these angels of care. Yeah. And yet... Actually, they're called nurses angels, don't they? There was that TV show in the 80s called Angels. Charlie's Angels. Not the same thing. Not, no. (laughs) But (laughs) this woman, who thankfully Luther Letby is behind bars, she's basically a serial killer. Aside from all the horrific things she did... What I did find curious about the case was that on August 21, when she was formally sentenced, she refused to go in the courtroom and, you know, sit in the dock Mm -hmm. and hear the verdict, which meant that she did not have to hear the victim impact statements from the parents of the children she killed or attempted to kill or face the parents who, you know, have the children who lived, who have Mm -hmm. serious life-changing, lifelong, life-changing like health conditions, who need round-the-clock care. So there's a lot of psychology to unpack behind her, A, not wanting to face those parents, and B, why she did it. And I don't know if, you know, with your psychology hat, you have any ideas about that. What do you mean? Why she wouldn't want to face those parents in the dark. Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, she probably... Didn't want to face the music. (laughs) Didn't want to face the music, or she may believe herself to be innocent. And it's just too much for her. She's a very sensitive person, I've heard. I mean, I don't know the reason why not. Would you want to? Absolutely fucking not. No, you wouldn't want to. No. And I think, too, there must be some kind of 
blocking of what she's done or like you say in her own mind she's imagining herself to be innocent but like I said you know she's been charged she's behind bars it actually took nearly a year before the Manchester Crown Court found her guilty and sentenced to life in prison and the thing is sadly Lucy Letby is not the only healthcare killer and I'm gonna just go into a case from early 1991 in Lincolnshire in England, mm-hmm. and a nurse called Beverly Allett. Lucy Letby actually is mirroring her. She murdered four children and attempted to kill nine more. Oh my goodness. Wow. While she was working in the children's ward at Grantham or Grantham? Grantham? Grantham. Grantham with a th. Grantham in Kestephen Hospital. Weirdly, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this case is because just in the last few days, Beverly Allett who, you know, has been behind bars. Oh, spoiler. (laughs) Spoiler. Since 1991. We know. 32 years now. She's back in the headlines, Geordie. And that's where we're going today. So, rewinding the clock, back to 1968, October 4, in Corby Glen, in Lincolnshire. That's when she was born. And like Lucy Letby, she had a pretty normal upbringing. You know, she grew up in a working class family, Uh, She was apparently always interested in helping people, always wanted to be a nurse, was always looking after kids in the village. But thing is, she also did some weird stuff. Really? So apparently when she was a kid, and she grew up as one of four kids in her family, Mm -hmm. she would do things like just start wearing bandages to get attention. Okay, right. She would put fake casts over her wounds, again, Mm -hmm. basically to get attention. She was also massive hypochondriac and she was always being taken in and out of hospitals trying to get medical attention for a string of physical complaints. Some were real, most of them were made up. The thing is, she actually eventually at, at one point convinced doctors to give her an appendectomy. Oh my gosh. To remove her perfectly healthy appendix. How old was she at that point? Under 10. Oh my goodness. I think she was very good at just talking up these fake illnesses. And look, I've had my appendix out. It's very, very hard to determine whether or not your appendix is about to burst. I mean, I was in a lot of pain when I was a kid. If you know what to do, you could fake that kind of pain because they rely on the... On the responses from the patient. Exactly. Thing is, though, her appendix scar took forever to heal because she kept mucking around with it, picking at it, digging into it, opening up that scar. What is the obsession with the health and being poorly how many siblings did she have three i don't know where in the line she was actually i don't know if she was the awkward middle child like myself or if she was older or younger apparently too she was also self-harming right and she had a reputation around town for doctor hopping because doctors were getting wise they were getting wise to her She was kind of a bit of a time waster and attention seeker. She would go in, she'd make up shit. She wants treatment for fake ailments. Doctors pretty chalked it all up as attention seeking behavior and and alerted other doctors in the area. Like, watch out. I also did read that in her early 20s, you know, she went on to train as a nurse. But although there's no proof of this, she was suspected of doing some weird shit like smearing actual shit what? on the walls of a nursing home where oh she was training. God! 
they caught her doing that or they just suspected they suspected there oh was they goodness. never pinned it on her but they were like she did it also her boyfriend at the time reportedly said later um that beverly was aggressive she was manipulative she was deceptive and she told him that she was pregnant when she wasn't she also told him that she'd been raped and there was oh. no evidence for this. And I don't want to take that lightly because, look, you never know. But yeah. in all the other instances, she's kind of a liar. And she has a pattern of extreme behavior to get attention. This would have been in the 80s when it mm-hmm. was not easy for women to report rape. No, you're right. You know, jury's out on that particular yeah. so-called lie. She did train to be a nurse. But she did not do well at her studies and apparently she failed loads of her exams. She had to take them over and over and because she was in and out of hospital all the time with these made-up illnesses, she did not have a good attendance record on her course. Somehow though, she managed to pass and she got a temporary six-month contract job at Grantham and Kesteven Hospital in Lincolnshire, 1991. Mm-hmm. It's been suggested in reports that I read that one of the reasons they actually even took her on was because they were desperate and really chronically understaffed at the time. So that's how she got her in at the hospital. And she was placed on the children's ward. So apparently there were only two trained nurses on the day shift and one for the night shift when she started. Thinking about that, it is not hard to see how what she was doing potentially went undiscovered for as long as it did. And again, I'm so sorry about my helicopters in the background here, eavesdroppers. What she was doing was going undetected until there was this spate of mysterious sudden deaths in the paediatric ward. Oh, gosh. It seemed that kids who had been admitted for really minor issues and injuries were suddenly and without warning facing life-threatening conditions that just bewildered the families Mm. And the staff were just baffled. No one could get to the bottom of what was going on. So we'll cycle back here. February 21, 1991, seven-month-old Liam Taylor was admitted to the children's ward with just a chest infection. Now, apparently, Beverly assured Liam's parents that Liam was in really capable hands and she was going to take care of him and they should just go home and get some rest. So they did. And when they returned, Beverly broke the news to them that Liam had suffered a respiratory emergency but he had recovered and that she had volunteered for extra night duty so she could watch over him and and make sure that he was okay. This time around though Liam's parents chose to spend the night at the hospital too and just before midnight Liam had another respiratory fit but he did pull through and was again being nursed by Beverly but pretty quickly his condition went from bad to worse before Beverly finally called for an emergency resuscitation team. After the fact, her fellow nurses could not understand why the alarm monitors didn't go off Mm. when he had stopped breathing. But the thing is, and trigger here, Liam did end up on life support with no chance of recovery. His parents eventually agreed to take him off the life support. The cause of death was recorded as heart failure and Beverly was never questioned about her role in what had happened in Mm. Liam's death. Two weeks later, 11-year-old Timothy Hardwick. 11 years old. 11 years. He's an older child. Okay. He had cerebral palsy and he was admitted after having an epileptic fit on March the 5th, 1991. 
Beverly was put in charge of his care and after a really short amount of time where she was alone with him, she once again called for an emergency resuscitation team, but they were too late and they couldn't revive him. An autopsy later failed to come up with an obvious cause of death. His epilepsy was the official cause of death on the death certificate. Three days later, one-year-old Kaylee Desmond who had been admitted with, again, a chest infection, seemed to be recovering well until Beverly, who came on shift, was put in charge of Kaylee and she went into cardiac arrest. Oh, my God. The resuscitation team were again called and they did revive her and she was transferred to another hospital in Nottingham where doctors discovered a weird puncture hole under her armpit (gasps) and they discovered an air bubble near the puncture mark which they put down to an accidental injection. We didn't talk about this earlier with Lucy Letby, but Lucy did inject children with air. with air, and this is exactly what Beverly did too. Yeah. So there's a lot of mirroring going on here. Thing is, no investigation was called. So Beverly again, off the hook. Ten days later, five-month-old Paul Crampton was admitted to the children's ward with just a really mild bronchial infection. And just before he was meant to be discharged, Beverly was on shift. She was looking after him on her own when she called for help because Paul appeared to be suffering from insulin shock. And he was basically almost in a coma three times. And each time the doctors managed to swoop in and revive him, but they were baffled as to what was going on. They had no clue as to why there was this massive fluctuation in his insulin levels. He was taken by ambulance to another hospital in Nottingham. Beverly actually went in the ambulance with him when he was found again to have too much insulin in his body. But luckily, he was taken out of that ambulance. Beverly was left in the ambulance. He was seen to immediately and he did pull through. Okay. The next day, five-year-old Bradley Gibson, who'd been admitted to the children's ward with pneumonia, went into unexpected cardiac arrest and again saved by the resuscitation team and when they did blood tests on him it showed he too had high insulin levels for no good reason that night beverly was again in charge of him on the ward on her own he had an unexplained heart attack and was rushed to nottingham hospital where he recovered which is great two days later on march 22 1991 two-year-old yik hung chan was also in Beverly's care when, out of nowhere, he began to turn blue. Medics managed to get him back on track, but he had a cardiac arrest. And again, he got transferred over to the bigger hospital in Nottingham, where they did manage to get him back on track and he did recover. But they discovered that a lot of his symptoms were due to a fractured skull. Oh, no. Well, they said could have happened because of a fall. He went in with pneumonia. So a week after that, two-month-old Becky Phillips, who had been born prematurely along with her twin sister Katie, they were both in the hospital for observation. But Becky had a bit of a funny tummy and was admitted to the children's ward with gastroenteritis. This is April 1, 1991. Beverly took over her care. Two days later, Beverly called for backup because, according to her, Becky appeared hypoglycemic and cold to the touch. But... The doctors examining her didn't find anything and Becky was actually sent home. But during the night at home, 
Becky went into convulsions. The family called up a doctor who said, oh, don't worry, it's probably colic. What? But it wasn't colic. And sadly, Becky died during the night. Oh, my God, Michelle. It's so many lovely children's lives taken. This is awful. Absolutely fucking horrific. And the thing is, they did an autopsy and they could not find a definitive cause of death. But after this, her parents freaked out and thought, fuck, let's take Katie back to the hospital, Becky's twin. Yeah. Because, you know, just as a precaution. So they did. Beverly was on shift and put in charge of Katie's care. And within a couple of hours, Beverly called for a resuscitation team to revive Katie, who had stopped breathing. Doctors managed to bring her back to life. But two days later, Katie had a similar attack and was sent to Nottingham where they found she had five broken ribs <gasps> and brain damage oh. as a result of oxygen deprivation. So I wasn't aware of all of this horrible abuse. I thought that she was medically altering the children's levels and putting air bubbles in. I didn't realise she was actually abusing the children in this very physical manner. It's too much. I don't know that they can pin it on her. Four more children suffered in the care of Beverly. And all in all, over 59 days, Beverly murdered four children and attempted to kill nine others. Oh, my God. The thing that unraveled her was the death of a 15-month-old baby girl called Claire Peck, who on April 22, while in Beverly's care, suffered a heart attack. And again, the resuscitation team, who are fucking miracle workers... They managed to revive her, but they left her alone again in Beverly's care. She had a second attack and she didn't survive. Oh, God. All of this stuff was really unusual for the hospital and suspicions were raised. There was this one doctor who was just completely alarmed by all of these infant cardiac arrests. Yeah. And he initiated an inquiry. At what point did he initiate? 59 days. How many children had died? There were four dead and there were... Yeah. Okay. Look, they didn't know what was going on. And this guy, Dr. Nelson Porter, he actually thought it was an airborne virus mm. that could have been responsible. But the thing is, they did testing and there was no common virus amongst these children. Right. So that was ruled out. Then there was a test that was administered on the last victim, Claire. And they found a really high level of potassium in Claire's blood. So the police were called in because they mm. thought this is not right. Potassium stops hearts, right? I think so. Well, they exhumed Claire's body and then they found other drugs in her system. So they decided to do a few more exhumations and the police discovered high doses of insulin in most of the babies who had died. And when they were digging through hospital records, they discovered that Beverly had reported the key to the insulin refrigerator missing. Oh, gosh. So it's all planned. Yep. They also discovered... That the daily nursing logs from the days where these babies had been injured or, yeah. or killed were missing. And they corresponded exactly to those time periods. The compulsion for her was so strong that she had to go to all this trouble. It wasn't because it was opportunistic. 
it feels to me like it was a compulsion. And the fact that you've told me all this stuff about her childhood as well really points very strongly to Munchausen's and then Munchausen's by proxy as a result of what her actual career became. And I think she chose that career for a reason by the sound of it. I'm making assumptions here. Apologies. No, you're absolutely 100% on the nose because she was diagnosed with Munchausen's and Munchausen's syndrome by proxy. Yeah. So you are 100% on it. But just to wrap this up, horrific. it didn't take long, actually, after they sort of realised that these nursing logs were missing. But there was actually more suspicious episodes. There were 25, actually. Oh, God. There were 13 victims. Yeah. And the thing is, in the 13 victims, the only common denominator was the fact that Beverly Allett was present right. at every single incident. Okay. And they put two and two together and... They started investigating Mm. and by the end of July 1991, police felt that they had enough evidence to charge Beverly with Mm. murder. But it wasn't until November 91 that she was actually formally charged. Why not? They just wanted to get their ducks in a row. They had enough, but they wanted it to be watertight. You know what uh, hospitals are like. There are often cases brought against hospitals or patients who feel that they got bad advice and it's life or death or injuries that occur within the hospital due to the wrong drugs or whatever they close ranks and it's really hard to get past the wall in hospitals but obviously in this case it's a clear situation they've got somebody harming these children on purpose it's abuse it's malpractice and abuse and probably against every single policy that the hospital have they have to deal with this and they did obviously well i will tell you just as an aside i have three very personal cases of medical neglect and mistreatment of people that I know, friends, and exactly what you said, the hospitals shut down, closed ranks, files went missing. Mm -hmm. The people that I know and love who had loved ones mistreated, they have been shut down and they will not get justice. This, on the other hand, is the hospital going, fuck, we need to stop this. Yeah freaking serial killer so they want the police intervention here and they will do everything they can to like get to the bottom of it they did pull up beverly and started interrogating her about the deaths and the attempted deaths she was calm she denied anything to do with anything Mm. and she just said all she was doing was caring for those children but when police searched her house they found a lot of the missing nursing logs and When they did some background checks on Beverly, they uncovered all of the self-harm and the in and out of hospital and all of the attention seeking. They did do some psychological tests on her and they came to the conclusion that as you so rightly preempted, she did have Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Munchausen is where physical or psychological symptoms are either self induced or faked whereas Munchausen's by proxy involves hurting others to get attention as the caregiver and usually it's a parent but quite often it can be a healthcare professional as well well the thing is apparently it's super unusual for someone to present with both conditions and she did yes yeah so while Beverly's behavior when she was a teenager appeared to be classic Munchausen's when people stopped giving her attention when she was faking the illnesses She then went one step further and started doing this to those kids in her care to get the spotlight on her Mm. once again. But weirdly, B 
Beverly refused to confess what she'd done. And eventually she was charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, and 11 counts of causing grievous bodily harm. And while she waited for her trial, she lost weight and was diagnosed with anorexia. She also started faking more illnesses, so the trial date kept getting pushed and pushed. But finally, on February 15, she did go to court where Professor Roy Meadow explained Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy to the jury and gave his medical opinion that Beverly would never be cured and that she would be a danger to anyone she came into contact with. So on May 23, she was given 13 life sentences for murder and attempted murder and was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 30 years. 30? 30. Well, she's done 32. Well, she had a minimum term. That means that she can now lodge an appeal. Well, she was given an all-life sentence, meaning that she would never be released. But the thing is, instead of going to prison, she was actually sent to a place called Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottingham, where she was detained under the Mental Health Act. She was up to her old tricks again. She started doing things like eating ground glass, pouring boiling water on her hand to get attention. And during her time in that mental health facility, she formed a relationship with a male convict, oh, a male prisoner they had mixed. called Mark Heggie, yeah, mixed, who was dubbed the vampire oh, because he why? murdered a woman and then drank her blood. Oh. And they apparently did marry in 2001. Gosh. She was also in the news because she inherited 10 grand trust fund from her father, which people were like, she should not be allowed to have anything. But the reason this is now very topical is that just last week, She was back in the news because, as you just said a couple of minutes ago, she applied for a transfer from that secure mental health unit to a mainstream prison. And basically what that means is if a mental health assessment panel decides she can be transferred, this could make her eligible for parole. And if that happens, she could be freed. Now, the decision date has not been set yet, but a lot of families of the victims have spoken out in the media saying she should never be released. For sure. So watch this space and we'll keep you updated. Wow. Ugh, shake it off. Shake it off. Thanks, Michelle. I need to shake that off. It's just so so rough. We got a bit We got a bit I find these kind of cases interesting because I am intrigued by the psychology behind the culprit, if you like. I don't like hearing about the children suffering. That's my main thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who don't like it either. So apologies for that. But I have a story today which is a little bit kind of seasonal. Let's call it seasonal. It's not at all. I'm grasping at straws, of course. (laughs) It's autumn right now or fall here in, where are we? October 2023. Traditionally, it's known as Harvest Festival of Thanksgiving. It's not Thanksgiving like in America. It's Harvest Festival. In the UK, it's big. You go to your church, you leave a great big basket full of canned goods and they give it out to other people who don't have as much as others do. It's very nice. It's like sharing what you have extra of. It's a time to give. But what about if you had an extra kidney, you wanted to give that? What? I'm talking about organ harvest. No. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Hands off. You're not getting your hands on my organs. No, you you just can't have them willy-nilly. But some people think you can. 
This story that came to my attention recently is from March 2023, this year. It's about a senior wealthy Nigerian politician, his wife and a medical middleman who were all involved in an organ trafficking operation right here in Great Britain. No, trafficking. No, 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 no. Let me explain. Senator Ike Ekweramadu, don't know if I've said that right, he was 60, or he is 60, and his wife Beatrice, 56, and Dr. Obina Obeta, 50, brought a 21-year-old man to England in order to harvest his kidney for the couple's daughter who was unwell with some disease. I don't know what, it doesn't say. She's 25, Sonia. The operation was planned as a private transplant and it was going to cost the family £80,000 in order for it to take place at the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead, North London. How? How is this possible? Well, they're all in on it. You know, I have friends who have had a kidney transplant to survive and they have to find a donor. His first transplant, for example, was on a waiting list. He had to wait. Then that kidney has run its course. He needed another one at some point. Okay. On this occasion, and it's a massive undertaking, huge, his brother stepped up and gave him his kidney. Right. So basically you can volunteer. You can, so you can arrange these things privately, yeah. You can volunteer to give an organ. You can find a donor, but obviously when you turn up to hospital, you can't just go, oh, here, we've got someone. They're not going to go, great, let's prep him. There's more to it than that, as you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> this family had a young, reluctant donor who was a street trader from Lagos in Nigeria and prosecutors say he was offered up to £7,000, which is going to be a big money for a shoe shiner or whatever it was that he was doing, selling canned goods on the street, and promised him opportunities in the UK in exchange for helping this family. But they haven't told him exactly what it was they wanted from him, Michelle. No. The penny only dropped once he met doctors at the hospital who said that the donor was unsuitable when they realised he hadn't had any advice or counselling regarding the risks of surgery. Oh, my God. Well, at least they were doing due diligence. You have to. I mean, honestly, he also didn't have the funds to provide the lifelong care that he would need after the operation. <gasps> so he would be risking his own health. Yes. They cut you in half, Michelle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't Sorry. know. I don't know the ins and outs of this. The <laughs> chips and the chops. The terrified young man, when all this was revealed to him in the hospital, then ran away and he was sleeping rough for days. I would too. Yes, you would. Of course you would. Eventually, he walked into a police station in Staines in Surrey. Staines massive. He was crying and in distress and he told police, the doctor said I was too young, but the man said, if you do not do it here, he would carry me back to Nigeria and do it there. Poor guy. Uh, Absolutely terrified. Go underground. Turn into a mole person. Just get the fuck out of sight. Well, no, he went to the police. He busted this crime ring wide open. It's the first organ trafficking conviction in this country. During the sentencing of the three people, Mr. Justice Jeremy Johnson. That's almost like a... <laughs> Justice you, Jeremy Johnson. What do you call those things? She sells seashells by the seashore. What's that Tongue called? twister. Tongue twister. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Mr. Justice Jeremy Johnson said all three of the accused played a part in a despicable trade. And he also said the harvesting of human organs is a form of slavery. Yes. It treats human beings and their bodies as commodities to be bought and sold. It's like that movie with Kira Knightley. I'm just about to say it. Oh. It brought to mind... A film I saw at the Brixton Ritzy, not the Risty, the, <laughs> the Ritzy. Ritzy. 
some time back. In fact, I think it was one that you could go to with your baby in tow. And it had Kira Knightley and it was called Never Let Me Go, yes. which came out in 2010. And it was also from a book by Katsuo Ishiguro. He wrote the book Never Let Me Go in 2005. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. So I'll tell the others. Yes. It's a British dystopian romantic tragedy. And the screenplay is by Alex Garland, who also wrote The Beach and the screenplay for 28 Days Later. And it's about three friends who had grown up in a boarding school. It's an alternative history. It's like our world, but a different version of. These three friends kind of form a love triangle because Carey Mulligan's character loves Andrew Garfield's character. But Kieran Knightley ends up with Andrew Garfield's character because obviously she's the prettiest. (laughs) They were in this boarding school and it's in a place called Hailsham in East Sussex, which is where I used to go charity shopping all the time. In this story, there had been a medical breakthrough in 1952 that permitted the humans of the world to live beyond 100 years old through medical intervention. So at the boarding school, a new teacher arrived and she broke the rules by telling the students that they are destined to be organ donors and they'll likely die in their early adulthood. She gets the sack and these kids are all ontologically shocked, to say the least. Oh, as you fucking would be because you think you're, you've got this beautiful life, but really... You're just being farmed. You're a meat suit <laughs> with oh organs. Oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> and one by one, they pull these organs out until you just die because you can't survive without all the bits and bobs. That's not very nice, is it? That's horrible to think about. But the twist is... Don't tell the twist. Okay, I'm not telling you the twist. There's also a new Korean Netflix show called Bargain. I'm not going to watch it because it looks too bloodthirsty, but that also explores themes of organ harvesting. So, Michelle, I hate to break it to you, but, mate, it's a thing. It's a thing. I'm not surprised because you think about people's health. It's going downhill in different ways because, you know, we're not eating good food. We're not eating food that's been cultivated from healthy soil and healthy water. It's all full of chemicals. Nobody knows what it does to us. No one knows what the air full of rubbish we're breathing is doing to our bodies, vaping, anything. Organs are going to shut down. And people with money will take advantage of those who are vulnerable. I'm not surprised. It's just horrifying. This is quite a dark episode if you think about it. The story that you just told was very dark. dark. What I'm about to tell you I got from the International Society for Human Rights. And what I'm about to say isn't very nice. Organ harvesting is essentially killing on demand, the selling and transplanting of the organs of victims. According to the International Society for Human Rights, they claim that tens of thousands of organ donors' origins remain unclear in China. Don't come for me, Chinese, please. The website hypothesizes that this is likely due to unwilling organ harvesting. It's quite shocking what I'm about to go on to say. And I really hope that no one comes for me. The website of the International Human Rights says that to their knowledge, these victims primarily consist of arbitrarily jailed prisoners from Chinese labor camps and re-education facilities. Other countries are also known to be rife with this trafficking of human organs, such as the Sinai Peninsula and India. So the Sinai Peninsula being around Egypt. Don't ask me about geography. So Chinese human rights activists report that inmates on death row are forced to sign, brace yourselves, organ donation forms. And according to estimates, several thousand people are executed every year, although the exact number is a state secret. So basically, if you kick over the bucket and mop, 
when you're in prison and vinegar tits is like getting angry at you, that's it. Executed, yeah. we're taking your well, kidney. You're in there for something that is completely not punishable by death in other countries Shit. in the first place. Shit. So it's a bit like being, Fuck. you know, shipped to Australia for stealing a loaf of bread, that kind of thing. A lot of the death penalties are based on confessions that have been obtained under torture. Oh, man. I've got more horror. Previously, those condemned to death were executed primarily through lethal injection, but today's executions must take place at least in part through organ removal in order to ensure the quality of the organs. Hang on, I'm just processing that. Yeah. So it's, the it's organs are removed while they're still alive yeah. and then they're killed? That's partly how they die. It's very never let me go. Oh! my god yes. hang on that's what i oh took it as saying god. yeah i thought you meant right we'll have your kidney we'll have your eyes we'll have no we'll take your heart we'll take all of those what and then and that's how they die yeah they don't wake up yeah okay i thought you meant they're left to die no. or bleed out or something oh no. man I, I don't know all the no, details i don't it's know horrific. that i want you let know. your mind go wherever you like it's not a happy episode guys i'm sorry apologies from me apologies to you always sound so australian have you heard the rumors about going on a night out getting really drunk and then waking up in an ice bath with a scar michelle i have heard that it's probably an urban myth Mm. right because in order to harvest a kidney or whatever you need you have to have the right blood type for the recipient plus a lab technician surgical nurse anesthesiologist all of that kind of stuff i'm going to tell you a story that I got from the Daily Mail in 2022, which is about a Mexican woman who flew 3,000 miles to Peru from Mexico to meet a man she met online, only to be murdered, dismembered, and had her organs harvested. Sorry. Oh my Sorry God, about that it. is like catfished to the extreme. Yeah, absolutely. So what, like during the love chat, he was like, I really want to have babies with you. Are our blood types a match? What are our blood types? Well, maybe. No, I don't know what was said, but Blanca Arellano, who was 51, flew to Mexico City, to Lima in Peru, to meet a 31-year-old guy called Juan Pablo Jesus Villafuerte Pinto. We're just going to call him Villafuerte from now on. He was a human medicine and biotechnology student at university in Lima. They met on a gaming app and had been in an online relationship for several months. So Blanca boarded a plane one day to meet him in the hope of a real relationship coming together. Mm. After a week being ensconced with Velafuerte, she rang home and told her niece that she was doing great and they had fallen in love and everything was wonderful. And everyone at home would have been so thrilled for her. You know, she's with the guy 20 years younger. She's feeling hot and gorgeous and amazing. Well, after that, her family were unable to reach her again. And after several days, Blanca's family began to worry. So her niece, Carla Arellano, used Twitter to see if she could get some help in locating her Aunt Blanca. And in her tweet, she wrote, I never thought I would be in this situation. Today, I ask for support to locate one of the most loved and important people in my life. My Aunt Blanca disappeared on Monday, November 7 in Peru. This is in 2022. She's of Mexican origin. We fear for her life. They didn't know this guy. They haven't heard from her. They're just thinking, what the fuck? Carla then went on to say that she'd been in contact with the man her aunt had traveled to see, Villafuerte, to ask him if he had heard from her. And in his response, he told Carla that Blanca had got bored of him because he couldn't give her the life she wanted and that her aunt had left to return home 
to Mexico. But a few days after this exchange on November 9, Carla and the rest of the Arellano family received terrible news. Trigger warning, trigger warning. A fisherman had discovered a woman's faceless head floating in the water in the port near to where Villafuerte had been living in Huacho, Peru. A short time later, an arm was found. Then a finger with a ring was also washed ashore. The tip of the finger was missing. And the next day, a torso with the organs removed was found at the end of a canal that flows into the sea. And this canal passed in front of the university that Villafuerte was a student. The ring was confirmed by the family to being Blanca's. Even more than my story, that for me is so heartbreaking because she went there with such high hopes for love and romance and she was murdered for her organs. Fuck me. That's just awful. I I feel really upset. I know it's not a good day. Sorry, guys. Forensic examinations revealed the victim's face had been removed by someone experienced with surgical instruments. And during a search of Velifuete's home, police found evidence of blood in the bathroom, the laundry and on his mattress. Not just that, but this guy had also apparently posted TikTok videos of her organs days after Blanca disappeared. I know. So he'd just been showing like the heart and stuff. Oh my God. And the brain. They showed him dissecting body parts. This guy's fucking psycho. Yeah. I'm shocked. It's a shocking story. Shortly after this discovery, the police arrested Villafuerte on accusations of femicide, human trafficking and organ trafficking. And he denied his involvement. That guy is going down. And if he doesn't, Jesus. I was worried when I did this research because I couldn't find anything more to follow up on what happened to him. Mm -hmm. But I did see this recently. Carla issued another tweet that read, we have no words to express what we're experiencing. My aunt was a kind, warm person, full of light, intelligent, dedicated, loving. And that is how she should be remembered. And she went on to say that they believed the Peruvian law would see that justice was done. And like I said, Michelle, I couldn't find any info about what happened. But then something popped Mm. up. He was, as I said, charged and found guilty of femicide after being held for nine months in a pre-trial detention. Then the trial was this year, 2023, in September, only last month. So Villafuerte, you'll be pleased to know, was sentenced to 35 years in prison. Plus, he had to pay a civil reparation to the family of the victim of around 13,500 US dollars. Okay, well... A version of justice was done, but I will say, please be careful out there you don't know you don't know who you're going to meet always make sure people know that you're going to be safe you can't trust people when I was single I went on dates with people I didn't know and felt very unsafe but I will say and I've said this before that guy what do you think I'm going to say that guy when he's in jail can go needs to suck suck a dick. dick I knew you were going to say that. That's Michelle's. (laughs) Judge Michelle Margarita passes down her punishment, her classic punishment of having to suck cock in jail. Pretty much. He's going to be double teaming that thing. And just so all our listeners are aware, Michelle's mother is listening to this. sorry, Jen. Hi, Jen. (laughs) You raised a filthy daughter. You sure did. Now, I will apologize right here. It's been a rough ride, but there's no light without dark, Michelle. 
We know that in life. And obviously right now in the world, it's a pretty upside down place. It's pretty messed up. I'm finding it very difficult to listen to any news reports right now. It's tough out there. Honestly, go and watch Beckham. It'll cheer you right up. All right. It's got the Spice Girls. It's got soccer. It's got it all. It's distraction. Distraction. It's like That's what we need. There's no organ harvesting. There's no babies dying. But there are some harvesting of organs on Netflix. So just beware. If you are flicking around looking for something to watch. If in doubt, just watch RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) Yeah. That will give you a bit of a lift. Well, I think that's probably what I'm going to go and do now then, Michelle. Go and find something to lift me out of my doldrums. Apologies again, listeners. I hope you were not too traumatized by this episode. One last thing, though, I will say. We haven't had any voice notes yet. What's happened to you all? Come on. Get get in there. Send us some voice notes. Also, I think we need some new jingles. So any jingle ideas, please send in. If you're sending a voice note, let us know if we can cut it up. If it's particularly classic, we might use it as part of a jingle. Who knows? You never know. But honestly, Jordi, I think we've just come to that time of the episode where there's only one thing left to say. What's that, Michelle? If you can get the words out of your mouth. Wherever you are. Whatever you do. Just, just keep, keep Eavesdropping. 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 Eaves